Welcome to WADA, ADA Live Talk Radio, brought to you by Southeast ADA Center, your leader for information, training, and guidance on the Americans with Disabilities Act. And here's your host. Welcome to this month's episode of WADA ADA Live. On behalf of the Southeast ADA Center, the Burton Blatt Institute at Syracuse University, and the ADA National Network, welcome to episode 47 of WADA Live. Today we're going to talk about emergencies, how to prepare for them, and what to do afterwards. I'm Mary Mortar, Materials Development Specialist with the Southeast ADA Center and a member of the Georgia Emergency Preparedness Coalition for People with Disabilities and Older Adults. I'm your host for today's show. We have two guests for our show today. The first guest is Christine Waddell, ADA trainer with Life of Mississippi, which is the Center for Independent Living in Jackson, Mississippi. Christine also works for the Southeast ADA Center as an information specialist. Our other guest is Christy Dunaway, who is the Disability Integration Coordinator with the Mississippi Emergency Management Agency, or MEMA, which is a state agency that helps people in Mississippi prepare for and recover from emergencies and disasters. Christine and Christy will talk about how people with disabilities should prepare for an emergency and what you should do after the emergency. We will talk about what anyone should do in an emergency situation, but we are also going to talk more specifically about what people with disabilities should do when an emergency or disaster happens. What do we mean by an emergency? It can mean a flood, fire, earthquake, hurricane, or other natural disaster. But an emergency can also be something like a natural gas leak or a sudden sinkhole in your neighborhood or a tree falling on your house. Emergency situations usually happen without any warning, so most of us are not prepared for them. Everyone, whether you have a disability or not, should be prepared for sudden emergencies. The best place to start is to prepare your personal emergency supply kit. Sometimes this is called a go kit. A go kit is an emergency supply kit with essential items you need and can't do without. Remember, you may be away from home when an emergency happens. You might be at work or at school or out in the community. How do you make a go kit? It's a good idea to have enough supplies with you to last at least three days. It's also a good idea to prepare a go kit for different situations. There's lots of information on the Internet and elsewhere about preparing a go kit. You may need one at home, one at work or at school, and one in your car. You should keep your go kit in a waterproof box or bag. Some of the most important things that everyone should include in a go kit are copies of your driver's license or other identification, a list of emergency contacts including names, phone numbers, and addresses, copies of medical and insurance records for your home, your car, and your health care, and their ID cards, a whistle, a flashlight with extra batteries, a hand-cranked radio or cell phone charger, 
at least one complete change of clothes and shoes, a coat, a rain poncho, a hat, gloves, blanket, small tarp, bottled water, non-perishable food, extra medication, sturdy work gloves, pocket knife, or a multi-purpose tool, and extra cash. We will have lists of emergency preparedness information and other resources posted on the adalive.org website, along with the archived recording and the transcript of this show. The National ADA Network has developed several fact sheets on emergency preparedness. You can find them on the website at adata.org. Now let's talk with Christine Waddell. Hey, Christine, there are a lot of things to think about when preparing for emergencies. What other things do I need to think about as a person with a disability when being getting ready for an emergency? Well, thank you, Mary. Um, one of the main things we have to consider is that we have to keep things dry. So top of my list is going to be some Ziploc bags. We need. We don't know how we're going to feel when we're in an emergency situation, so we want to be sure we write some things down that we think we're going to remember, like the names, numbers, and addresses of families and friends, uh, copies of our prescriptions. Sometimes you can get a whole list from your pharmacy, but we need to know what we take, what dosage we need, how often we take it. We need that written down. We should have at least three days of medicine with us because, you know, it's unreasonable to think that they can provide every individual person with their individual needs immediately. Um, so having a few days is a good idea. Um, we need to know who, if I'm a power wheelchair user, so I have a power wheelchair, but other people have different kinds of medical equipment, and we really need to have a written down our durable medical equipment provider. We need to write down um, what our durable medical equipment is and who prescribed it just in case something has to be replaced. We should have the name and address of our doctor or doctors, <clears throat> excuse me, um, in case they need to be contacted. Um, these things are just something that we need to do to take care of ourselves. Now, if we have particular medical equipment that we can, just little things, uh, some people, you know, have a special pen or some particular device they need to be able to feed themselves, we need to have those put aside in case we need to take them. Um, also, sometimes in an emergency or a disaster, we have to discuss our disability. And for some of us, it's really hard to succinctly and clearly discuss exactly what our disability is and what our disability-related needs are. And we can't expect people to guess. So if that is a problem for anybody, we really should beforehand write down a, just a brief summary of our disability our, and our issues and our needs and carry that with us. So if we have to show an emergency personnel uh, person that document, they can glance at it quickly, that's a really great idea. Also, we need to think about the fact, do we have medications that need refrigeration? 
in which case we really need to have some cold packs and a insulated bag in our um, uh, go kit or in our refrigerator so we can put them quickly in our go kit. Um, also, if you have a medic alert uh, bracelet or necklace, you need to wear it. Um, it's certainly, you know, not required that we um, talk about our medical issues in that manner, but sometimes it could be very important um, in an emergency situation. Also, of course, all of our insurance cards, copies of those, and put them all in our trusty, friendly Ziploc bags. Also, great idea to have a notebook. So if you need to write things down, you have some place to write it down. Do you have any other thoughts, Christy? No, I think you covered it all. Thank you. <laughs> well, Christine, those were great suggestions. And I must admit, one or two of them I had not thought of. Um, that's an excellent uh specific information for people with disabilities. That's very helpful. Uh, let's move on to our next question. Uh, what about sheltering? What are my options there? Well, you know, we have various options in sheltering. I live in the area where Katrina hit, so uh, and, and Hurricane Camille many, many years ago. So I've put a lot of thought into this. Uh, in the past, I would never have gone to a shelter because they were not accessible. Now, there are many of our shelters that are accessible, and so it is a viable option. Sometimes staying at home is a great um, solution, a great choice, but occasionally it's not possible to stay in your home. Um, you have the option of evacuating. If you evacuate, you need to go early because if you don't go early, you are going to be stuck in horrible, horrible traffic. You also need to know if you evacuate that you have an accessible place to go when you get somewhere, which sometimes can be a challenge, especially for power wheelchair users. Um, you also could seek shelter with family or friends in the area, somebody uh, slightly outside of your area. Um, that is a possibility. And then now we do have the option of a number of very accessible general population shelters that are required by federal law to provide access to people with disabilities who do not have such a significant medical situation that they need to be in a hospital. Um, shelters are supposed to provide enough access. So if an individual can be independent in their home, they should be able to be independent in an emergency shelter. Christy? Yes, I'd like to add a few things if I could. This is Christy Dunaway. Um, First of all, since Hurricane Katrina hit in 2005, funding has been made available to a number of states and local counties um, to build shelters that are hurricane-reinforced uh, for, for hurricanes. Those shelters are all required to be fully accessible and meet all of the 2010 standards for accessible design or the, or the, um, the Americans with Disabilities Act standards. Um, 
we recommend that you talk to your county emergency manager's office uh, before an emergency, before disaster strikes, and find out where those shelters are in your county. Uh, county and state-operated shelters should should all meet your accessibility needs. In addition to that, as Christine mentioned, um, a lot of the many of the other shelters are operated by faith-based organizations, volunteer organizations, but most are going to actually be operated by the American Red Cross. Uh, the American Red Cross has a shelter app that you can download onto your smartphone that shows you where um, shelters are. And then in the event of an emergency, your state emergency operations center will very likely be distributing information through local media about uh, sheltering, where those shelters have opened, locations of those shelters, uh, et cetera. Um, some states have um, a disability integration advisor like Mississippi uh, Emergency Management does. Uh, many do not. However, if you contact your local county emergency manager's office, hopefully you can get the information you need regarding where those shelters are and um, how to get there and make sure that they're accessible. As Christine stated, all shelters should meet your accessibility needs. Uh, and if they do not, then you need to speak with the shelter manager w upon arrival. Thank you. Thank you, Christy. That's just great information. Um, does he, do either one of you have anything else to add? Uh, sheltering is such a difficult topic, and we don't like to think about it, but we really need to think about it in advance. Okay. Oh, well, this is uh, Christine. Christine. Christy and I have uh, visited many, many, many shelters, and it certainly is a vast improvement over what was available years ago. We're making a lot of progress, and I feel much more confident that I would have similar options to what other people would have at this point. Not to say that there aren't occasionally errors, but, you know, we here in Mississippi are trying very hard to um, get those corrected, certainly with the commitment of the director of the Mississippi Emergency Management um, Organization. That's great, and that's really encouraging news, and I hope other states are working just as hard as Mississippi is to make their shelters accessible. Um, another important issue is um, transportation to evacuate or to get to a shelter. Um, Christy and Christine, can you talk to us about that, please? Well, certainly <clears throat> making arrangements if you need help with your transportation is a critical, critical part to your plan. Um, we all need to have a plan, and, and that is a key issue. Um, some people need to access transportation, and that was, um, there were several horrible tragedies that were linked to um, not getting proper transportation after Katrina. Um, basically, you need to have more than one plan. Don't rely on one source and assume that they will come, because all of these people at that point will be overwhelmed with requests. There may be areas where certain transportation cannot access your area or your home. So <clears throat> it is certainly critical to have 
more than one source to um, try to arrange prior to uh, a storm or needing it. And this is Great. pretty, let Did me just add, any? if I could, yeah. that um, often the transportation that you typically use if you're using paratransit services in your local town or county, often that transportation may very well already be uh, utilized by uh, county emergency management offices, the state, for instance, are using it to evacuate people. So while it's a good idea to it's always a good idea, as Christine said, to, to make your own transportation arrangements, but keep in mind this, that if your only option is your is your paratransit that you typically use, I highly recommend that you try and locate other opportunities out there. Um, if you are a Medicaid recipient, for instance, or even if you are not, there are non-emergency Medicaid transporters out there, many of them. Uh, you might want to look for those. Um, and in addition to that, let me just say this. If you are concerned about transportation to evacuate, if you're concerned about sheltering, uh, one thing that we all re always recommend as a person with a disability, contact your county emergency manager's office and find out how you can get involved um, and determine what's currently available. And if things are not available uh, in your area, what can you do as a person with a disability to advocate that those um, that, that, that better sheltering, better transportation become available. Thank you. That's great. Thank you, Christy. Thank you, Christine, uh, for this wonderful and valuable information that everybody needs. ADA Live listening audience, if you have questions about preparing for emergencies and what to do after an emergency, please submit your questions at any time on our online forum at adalive.org. Now let's pause for a word from our sponsor. The Southeast ADA Center is your leader in providing information, training, and guidance on the Americans with Disabilities Act and disability access tailored to the needs of business, government, and individuals at local, state, and regional levels. The Southeast ADA Center, located in Atlanta, Georgia, is a member of the ADA National Network and serves eight states in the Southeast region. For answers to your ADA questions, contact the ADA National Network at 1-800-949-4232. Welcome back to our show. We're talking with Christine Waddell and Christy Dunaway about how to prepare for emergencies and what to do afterwards. We've discussed both transportation and sheltering during an emergency. Now we're going to turn to another important topic. Where do I find help I need after a disaster? Christine? Well, in the immediate aftermath of a natural disaster, a tornado, a flood, uh, help will first come from our first responders, local fire departments, police departments, family, friends, and neighbors. But it's very important that we need to have a, a system, an idea, a plan, because the first 72 hours are basically on you. First 72 on you. Um, there is just no way that there are enough personnel to meet everybody's needs immediately. So that we need to do the very best we can to 
figure out how we can take care of ourselves for 72 hours at least. Christy? Yeah, a couple of things to keep in mind. The level of support and the assistance that you can receive after a disaster and where that that support comes from, whether it's local from your county or or local faith-based volunteer-type organizations, state resources or federal resources it's going to depend on the magnitude of the disaster on the on on how large this disaster was how many people have been affected how much damage has been done disaster assessments start immediately after a disaster has hit and typically a declaration for state or federal assistance can be determined within just a matter of a couple of days Um, if not sooner than that. So uh, if a disaster is declared uh, a disaster by the President of the United States, there are several ways that you can apply for federal assistance. Um, There are four different ways, in fact, uh, and all this information I think will be available on some resource sheets on ADA Live. But you can apply by phone, by calling an 800 number, you can apply you can apply on the internet by going to fema.gov disasterassistance.gov you can apply through disaster survivor assistance teams that will uh, often come by into the neighborhoods that have been affected and it's a team of people they will be uh, um, uh, you will know who they are by their dress and they will have badges Uh, stating that they are reservists or they are employees of either FEMA or MEMA, or or excuse me, FEMA or your state emergency management agency. And then also in addition, when a disaster is presidentially declared, disaster recovery centers will open locally in your area. Um, Typically, at least in Mississippi, each county will have two or three disaster recovery centers, depending on where the disaster actually hit, where the where the damage is. They try to place those recovery centers in the neighborhoods um, that have received the most damage if they can find a good location um, that uh, has not incurred damage and is accessible, of course. Um, So four places to to apply for assistance, by phone, by Internet, uh, through the disaster survivor teams that may come by your neighborhood, and through the disaster recovery centers. I recommend you apply by phone first, if at all possible. Um, But I also recommend that when those disaster recovery centers open, if the disaster uh, has been declared, um, I recommend that you go by those disaster recovery centers as well because there will be a number of different agencies and organizations at those disaster recovery centers and a number of different people that you can speak to about receiving the assistance that you may need. So... All of that information will be um, will be distributed through your local media. Um, all the counties, the states have got good external affairs teams that put together this information and get it out through local media. So tune into your local news if at all possible, um, because the services that are available to you will be announced often, um, and locations will be announced often. So. That's great information. Boy, it's a lot to remember, and I'm glad that this show will be archived so that people can listen to it later and take notes. Um, What do we uh, do if we're turned down for services after we try to apply? This is Christy. Appeal. 
um, when you do apply for services, you will be given an ID number. Uh, it's really important that you keep up with that ID number um, because that ID number is you will have to use it uh, anytime you call, uh, anytime you go by. Uh, the Disaster Recovery Center, anytime you may get on the Internet looking for information about stuff, if you've been given that ID number, um, you will need it uh, from that point forward. So keep up with that. Um, you, you're given it as soon as you apply. So we always recommend that you appeal because a lot – here's what happens. Y your insurance uh, has got to – if you have insurance on your home, um, it's – it will it will pay out a certain amount depending on your coverage. Um, so when you go ahead and apply for state or federal assistance, first you've got to see what your insurance. We recommend that you go ahead and apply for that assistance, but um, your insurance has got to determine what they are going to pay first before the state or federal government will determine what you're eligible for in terms of their assistance that they can offer. So get the ball rolling by applying first. But it's possible that if you have insurance coverage or if, uh, depending on your income and, and many other various factors, you may be turned down for assistance, always appeal that decision because often people uh, may be turned down for assistance because they don't have all the information that they need for uh, the employees and the reservists working um, the assistance to determine whether or not you're eligible. Often they will ask you to come back with more information. You know, bring us back your medical documentation. Bring us back, you know, uh, documentation from a, from a registered contractor, for instance, that tells us and shows us exactly how much damage was done to your home and that type of thing. So um, I always tell people, if you're turned down for assistance, appeal that decision. Um, and it's important that you keep up with every piece of paper, uh, if at all possible, uh, during cleanup, um, before a disaster strikes, during the cleanup process, and after a disaster has hit, um, and during your recovery process. Keep up with all of your paperwork. Thanks. Great. Thank you, Christy. That is so important. All of these steps are just crucial, and it's so hard to think of them when an emergency is happening. Um, as we wrap up the show, what are one or two points either one of you would like to share with the audience out there? Well, this is Christine. Um, I think we just need to keep in mind that disaster can strike at any time. The most important thing we need to do is think about it beforehand and have a plan, have a backup plan, and another backup plan. Uh, it is just so important to have options, and as the information comes in, you may need to change your plan. Uh, there was a hurricane that was headed toward um, Mississippi years ago, and a lot of people evacuated to New Orleans, and New Orleans was where the hurricane hit. So you just have to listen to your news, listen to your weather, and you need to remember to write down things that you think you know because in the middle of an emergency when you're upset and everybody is rushing, you might not remember what you think you will remember. So write down things 
and have them with you that you think you know, it's it's just a good plan. And this is Christine. I would add, Christine is absolutely correct. Uh, know ahead of time how you plan to evacuate if needed, where you're planning on going. In the event of a no-warning disaster, having those plans in place, have somebody make sure that there's somebody out there who can come and check on you. <laughs> That's perhaps the first and most important thing you can do. Um, if you're, you know, in your local area, you've got local fire departments that are, you know, in your neighborhood, police precincts that are in your neighborhood. Go and meet them. Let them know that you're living there in their neighborhood, that you may, you know, you're a person with a disability. You may need additional assistance in the event of a no-warning disaster, such as a flash flood or a tornado, you know, that you can't prepare for necessarily. So um, make sure that your local first responders know who you are and know that you're out there uh, because they'll, they will, you know, they will be the first ones on the scene in the event of a, uh, of a tornado or a flash flood or, or um, the, a type of disaster like that that's considered um, a no-notice event, basically. So let them know that you're out there and where you are. Keep your plan ready. Keep your go kit ready. Um, it's important to check that go kit. Uh, remember, if the doctor changes your medication, to make the changes you need to within your go kit and on your medication list and, and things like that. We can't always remember everything, and so I completely agree with Christine. The more you can write down and have in a Ziploc bag that uh, can't get wet, uh, the better off you'll be. Um, but really the most important thing, the first responders are going to be neighbors, family, and your local fire and police departments. Um, let them know that you're out there and that you may need assistance in the event of a disaster. Great, great information, Christy and Christine. Thank you so much for being with us today. I want to let our audience know that this episode and all previous ADA Live episodes are available on our website at adalive.org. We've also created a resource sheet and valuable information with websites and tips and other information regarding what to do in an emergency before, during, and after. All of our episodes are archived in a variety of formats, including streamed audio from our website, accessible transcripts of the audio broadcasts, and also available to download our podcast to listen to at your convenience from your mobile device. Just select the download podcast from our homepage, and all episodes will be downloaded to your iTunes or preferred podcast manager. I want to thank you all for listening today. We are thankful for your great support and listening to this series of ADA Live broadcasts. You can submit your questions on any of these topics by going to adalive.org. Join us on September the 6th for our next episode of ADA Live. We'll be talking with the LEAD Center staff about transition and what is required under pre-employment transition services of Workforce Innovation and Opportunity Act, or WIOA. If you have questions about the ADA, the Americans with Disabilities Act, contact your ADA center at one 800 949-4232. And remember, all calls are free and confidential.
Thank you for listening to ADA Live Talk Radio. Brought to you by the Southeast ADA Center. Remember to join us the first Wednesday of each month for another ADA topic. And you can call 1-800-949-4232 for answers to your ADA questions.